Let's just pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are the great God, that you are the only God, that you are the God who is powerful beyond our understanding, that you are the God who is, who is not only powerful, but powerful for us. Lord God, thank you so much that, that you are God in this place and that nothing can stand in your way. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father God, I just pray that now as we, we look at this series of incidents in Ephesus, Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our, our very selves that we might hear more of you and discern more of your truth. Holy Spirit, would you speak through my mouth and through my lips this morning, I pray. May we be aware of your power. Amen. A couple of nights ago, I was um, lying in bed, probably about two o'clock. I'm a very light sleeper, and I heard my computer switch off. For some reason, that woke me up. And I was certain that all the electricity had gone off. And you know when the electricity goes off, you just have, oh, no. Sigh, how terrible to live without power. I was sitting there in bed, 2 o'clock in the morning, going, oh, right, how am I going to reschedule tomorrow? Because I need my electricity. Woke up, computer just switched off, everything else was fine. But, but I, I got thinking about all these homes in Queensland. Where they're not flooded, they've got no electricity. And where the power is gone, everything in the fridges, and it's, it's rubbish. It's, it's petrified. Well, not petrified, it's ruined putrefied, putrefied. And I wonder this morning, as we look at these series of incidents in Ephesus, I want us to, to think about the power of God. Because what we've got here is really just Luke, as he writes to us, just hammering the point home again and again and again that God is powerful and that there is none like our God and that at the name of Jesus, nothing can stand and oppose us. Wonderful story. If you remember last week, we heard um, about uh, Apollos, and we heard about something of his story in Ephesus as, as he was converted by Paul, and not Paul, he was converted by um, Priscilla and Aquila, and uh, he went off on a missionary journey back to Corinth. This week, we, we find Paul, he's returned, and he's settling into the synagogue. You see, Paul's not content that there were one or two Christians in the city of Ephesus. Remember, this was a city of 250,000 people. This was the capital of Achaia, of, of, of Asia. Not Achaia, yeah, of Asia. And, and Paul comes to the city and he says, right, we've got a few Christians. What I want to do now, I want to have as many Christians as I can. And so he goes to the synagogue and he just starts preaching and teaching Every chance he gets, what, what does Luke say in, in chapter 19, verse 8? He says, he entered the synagogue, he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So Paul's coming and his, his main message is that the kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus and that we need to start living as citizens 
of God's kingdom and not of uh, citizens of the world. And it goes well for three months, but, but as usual, some of the Jews get a bit offended at the message. And Paul has to leave, and he, he goes across the way to, to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And I'm hoping that that wasn't the bloke's name. What mother looks at her newborn child and says, I shall call him Tyrant? Maybe it was the name his students gave him. This is the lecture hall of the tyrant. Uh, actually, if we look at some um, uh, old editions of, of uh, the Greek text for, for Acts, we're told that, that Paul preached in this lecture hall from the hours of 11 o'clock in the morning to about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which is siesta time in that part of the world. So basically what Paul does is he's no doubt working in the morning, from sunrise to 11 o'clock. Then he goes across to the hall of Tyrannus and he teaches and he preaches uh, until the afternoon comes. And then he goes out and he works some more. He's sustaining his own ministry. And people are coming to hear him. Do you know how, how excited they must have been to hear this gospel to come during their off moments? to come at their time when they were supposed to be relaxing. Instead, they go and, and they just soak in this gospel message, this good news, so much that, that, that says verse 10, by the end of two years, the gospel has, has not only made a big dent in Ephesus, it's spread through the whole of the province. Uh, Luke says there, everybody in the whole region heard the word of the Lord. And I think, just as an aside, that's, that's a great lesson for us today when it comes to, to, to sharing and spreading the gospel. So often we think we have to be seeker-sensitive and we have, to, we have to appeal to where people are at and we have to, 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 to appeal to their emotions so we'll put on a good show and, and brilliant music. Not that we don't have brilliant music, brilliant music. But, but we think we need to put on a show for people to come and hear the gospel, but but says, look over here, Paul sat and he taught them in huge blocks at a time. And the people came and God's word worked and the whole region was changed forever. If that's not God, God's power, I don't know what is. But let's move on to an even more amazing display of God's power. This is an interesting section here from about verse 11 and verse 12. We've got people going to Paul's workshop. No doubt he's getting a bit of a sweat. And they grab his hankies and they grab his, um, his aprons and they nick them and they run off and they, they, they take it to somebody who is sick and, and they take it to somebody who is possessed by demons and they and, and says, look, the amazing thing is that that these people are healed and that the demons disappear. They, they're exercised. And if you're anything like me, you read that and you say, ah, oh, come on. Surely that's not how it works. Surely this, this isn't normal. This is not normal. And actually Luke says exactly that. He says in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. 
extraordinary. In other words, God did unique miracles, strange miracles, unusual miracles through Paul here in Ephesus. And I think there's a reason why God worked this way in this place. Ephesus, as we saw last week, was, was a, a very religious town. Remember, they've got the, the big temple to, to Artemis up on the hillside there. One of the seventh, well, the seventh wonder of the ancient world. But, but aside from that, it's actually a place that is full of occult influences. Lots of magicians in Ephesus. We've got the story of, of some coming up in a tick, but actually uh, the word Ephesian writings was the word that they used to describe magic formulas. And I think this is basically a culture where people would do things like steal a handkerchief and give it to somebody to heal them. It's still strange. And I'm pretty sure Paul would not have gone along with it willingly. Paul would have been quick to say, no, it's not, it's not a hanky that's going to heal you. It's God's power that will heal you. It's God's power that will drive out your demons. But maybe it's the case that, that people heard Paul preaching about Jesus and about this power from God and and they didn't quite understand it, but they had just a, an inkling of faith in them. And they thought, well, there's, there's some truth. There's got to be something true about this. And, and you know, that, that confused state of, of I, I want to trust God, but I've, this is how I've always done things, so I'll try this. And, and, and God, by His grace, says, yeah, I'm going to let it work for you. It's an extraordinary miracle. But it shows God's power working even when faith is, is flawed and simple and, and all but worthless. But the problem is with that, of course, is that you've got charlatans running around who, who pick up on this thing that, that you can take a rag and it'll heal somebody. And, and Luke tells us about these seven sons of, of Sceva who calls himself a Jewish high priest. You can go back through the history books. There is no high priest named Sceva ever. And I think this guy, clever marketing man, thought, right, I'm going to call myself a Jewish high priest. Because actually in those days, if, if you were Jewish, you were considered to be a, a brilliant magician. And if you were a Jewish high priest, ooh, you are the top of the magician. Because you know the name of God, the divine name, Yahweh. You know how to pronounce it. And, and if you can say God's name, well then obviously the demons are going to run away from you. So you must be a powerful magician. And so Sceva and his sons, they get into the family business of, well, exercising demons and, and healing people. And they go and, they, and they've picked up on this, this usage of Jesus' name. They've realized somehow that there's power in the name of Jesus. And they go and they, go and, and they say, we are going to use the name of Jesus in our work. And they go to this demon-possessed man and they, and they say, in the name of God Almighty, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. And it's a hilarious moment because the demon turns around and says, yeah, okay, heard of Jesus, heard of Paul. 
Who are you guys? Like, we laugh. <laughs> it's a funny story, but can you imagine those seven blokes? There's this demon answering back to them. These are con artists, by the way. I'm sure they're con artists. And this demon answers back. And attacks them to the point where they run out naked and bleeding. Because they thought they could control God. They thought the name of Jesus was like an electrical switch where you turn it on and and the power rushes through. They thought God would obey them. And you know, the sad thing is, I've heard of cases like this. Not exactly the same, but I've heard of cases like this in modern times, in our times. And I always get so worried when I hear this kind of formulaic approach to God where people say, well, well, I've prayed the prayer, now God's going to act. I, I have prayed healing on, on this person, now that person will get well. That's what God does. I pray, He does the work, sort it. Some people even, I've prayed for the parking spot, where is it, God? But God is not a a magic formula. God is not a power switch that we can turn on and off and will. God is powerful and mighty and and awesome and, and His power works even when we do nothing. We see Paul over there. He does nothing but sweat and God works through him. Because it is God's power and not ours. And we've got the story here of the seven sons of Sceva. They've run out bleeding and naked, and I'm sure everybody in the town didn't take very long to find out. But, but the result, says Luke, the result is that people saw a demonstration of God's power, and they were seized with great fear, and they honored the name of Jesus. I think what we've got to remember is that, that in Ephesus at that time, fear was really the dominant emotion. You were afraid of, of, of the evil spirits. You were afraid of, of the goddess being displeased with you. You were afraid of, of all these spiritual forces that were arrayed against you. What a wonderful sight when you are filled with such fear and when it seems like like the whole of the cosmos is against you. What a brilliant thing when you hear of the name of Jesus who is so powerful that even the demons know of Him. How wonderful to know the God who is so powerful that He uses sweat to heal someone. I mean, if, if, if you are living in fear of the spiritual realm, surely the solution 
is to know the one who is greatest. Is to know the one who is more powerful. See, the sons of Sceva didn't know Jesus. And they paid a heavy price for it. Paul knows Jesus. And amazing things happen. And so what do we have? We've we've got this message percolating through the town of Ephesus. And in verse 18, verse 19, we've got a crowd of magicians. A crowd of Christians. People who have believed in Jesus Christ. And they come out into the open. In verse 18, they say, I just want to confess. I've been practicing sorcery. What does they say in verse 18 over there? They say, And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. They put up their hands and they said, Look, yes, I'm a believer of Jesus, but I've got to tell you what what sort of things I've been doing. In verse 19, they don't just confess, they put their money where their mouth is. They, they take their precious, precious scrolls of magic formula and, and they bring them to the place and, and they set fire to them. 50,000 uh, units worth of drachmas, worth of scrolls. That's about... 50,000 days wages, given an average wage. That is expensive. You know, I've got this image in my head of, of Christians burning books. When I was a child, there was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle phenomenon. I don't remember much about it, but I remember Christians getting together, buying them all from the shops, throwing them on a bonfire and burning them. Because this is evil and we must take a stand against this. Do you know, that's not what Paul is on about here. What what Paul is on about here is is not burning other people's stuff. Paul is saying, these people came to know Jesus... And as they got to know him and his power, they thought to themselves, this is not compatible with the life that I've been living. This is not compatible with with the things to which I have been enslaved and and in which I've I've been living in fear to these things. And and I've been worried about the the magic formula and I've been worried about the evil spirits and, 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 and all these evil deeds that I've done. This is no longer who I am and I will get rid of it and I will destroy it and I will take it to the fire and I will burn it. Interesting, they, 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 they read the magic formula out loud first. Back in those days, if you revealed your magic formula, they believed, the formula lost its power. And so what they're doing is they're saying, I, I will stand and I will say this is rubbish. These things which I thought were powerful are powerless. Because I know the powerful one. I know the one who is stronger than these things. And sometimes we might say, well, well, Nick, is it wrong to, 
to make a stand against the evils in society? Would it be wrong for Christians to go and, and burn magic formula in Ephesus today? Would it be wrong for us to go and, and, and I don't know, take a stand against the evils of the world? Of course it's not wrong to take a stand against the evils of the world, but, but, but what, what Paul is describing to us, and I think what Paul is trying to say to us, is that social reform and personal reform flows out of belief. The, the order is really important there. First we believe, and then we change. First we believe, and then we realize that we need to change because what we were is no longer who we are. And you can't force change on people and say, change, change, change until you are good enough and maybe then you'll become a Christian because it doesn't work that way. You remember that, that whole incident a while back with the church that was going to burn the Korans? Wrong thing to do. Totally wrong according to Acts chapter 19. But I've got a Muslim friend and he values his Quran so highly. If you accidentally put another book on top of that thing, woo, you're in trouble. You know what? If, if he became a Christian, pray that he does. I would want him to destroy his Quran. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But that book is a symbol of the power of of his old religion and his old way of life over here. And until he comes to the point where he can throw it away and say, I consider it worthless now, to paraphrase Paul, I consider it rubbish, until we come to that point, until he comes to that point, God's still got work to do in him. And some of us are thinking, well, yeah, good point. But maybe God's still got work to do in our own lives. Maybe there are still things which we need to light a fire. I was going to bring my Weber in, but I thought I might get into trouble. Maybe there are things where we need to, to look at ourselves and say, yeah, I've, I've been living as if these things are more powerful than God. I've been living uh, like these things are more important than God. I've been living in fear of instead of living in fear of God. When Jesus, Matthew chapter 6, chapter 7, speaks about this sort of thing, he says, don't worry about, um, let me read it for you, Matthew chapter 6, he says, um, don't worry saying what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear. Pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. 
I mean, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. Maybe those are some things which we need to say, God, my focus has been on myself and not on you. Perhaps the, the things which we have been basing our lives and our strength and our power on is money. And we need to go to God and say, God, what does that mean? When I know the one who has a, a thousand a cattle on a thousand hills. Maybe we fear social ostracism or peer pressure or what people think of us. And we need to take that to God and say, God, this has been ruling my life and not you. I suspect that each one of us can come up with at least two or three things where we can take to God and we can say, God, these things have been having a, a position of influence and power in my life. And I realize that it's not they who are in charge, it's you who are in charge. And, and if you are my king, if I am in your kingdom, then, then, then I want you to have absolute say and I will destroy and get rid of these things which are holding me back. You know, this is, this is the story of sanctification, I believe, here in Ephesus. People who believe, who see the power of God, and God works within them to, to realize that they need to change to be more like God, to get rid of the things which were holding them down and holding them back. And I love verse 20 of chapter 19, because as the people bring these things and they burn their magical papyri, papyri? papers, as they burn them, the word of God spreads with power and just goes out from that place. Not so much this time because of preaching and teaching and, and reasoning and arguing from Paul, but, but because people around them look and they see this this, this person has become a Christian and all of a sudden they are no longer held by the things which used to hold them. They have changed. And just by the by, I was talking to someone in the church the other day. They were speaking about a workmate of theirs who is going on holiday soon to visit his shaman in South America because he wants to know his future. And, and, and I was, this guy apparently said, it's interesting, you know, there are voices there when I speak with my shaman. And it's scary. You know, Ephesus was an occulty place, but there is plenty of occult in our society today. I mean, that, that's an extreme example, but, but horoscopes, yoga. That's one of those things I'd, I'd say if somebody becomes a Christian today, I'd, I'd say to them, right, burn your horoscope, would you please? Burn your yoga mat, if you use a yoga mat. 
because it's no point holding on to second-rate powers when you know the God who is above all, at whose name the demons flee and sickness disappears. And I just love how it finishes there. So is society being changed from within, like, like a fifth column of Christians who are changing their lifestyle and changing their allegiance and, and starting to live as citizens of the kingdom. So much is this happening in Ephesus that we've got poor old Demetrius here and, and he says, oh no, look at this. So much is society changing that my craft is going out of fashion. Profits down. Because people are turning to, to another God. And we know the story. They rile up the crowd and they bring everyone in and, and they attack them. And like a mob, like you said, Reg, they just stand there for hours on end yelling, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Refusing to hear, refusing to listen. Why? You know, it's like a, a toddler. When you tell a toddler no, what is their reaction? If you've got a normal toddler. <laughs> it's not, oh, that's okay, mum or dad. It's, why? I want it. No, give it to me, give it to me. No, no, I want it, I want it, I want it. And they scream and they yell and they carry on, even though they know that you're not going to give in to them. I think this is a similar kind of thing happening here. The gospel comes, God's power is moving in amazing ways, and the people are just putting their hands on their ears going, great is our God, great is our God. So eventually they're just dismissed. And the city clerk takes over. My friends, this morning, I just want to remind us of the power of God. Not a power that we can tap, not a power that is at our command and control, but the power of the name of Jesus which, which spreads out for the glory of Jesus so that people are healed of illness, of, of demon possession, so that people are set free from the things which have bound them up and, and held them captive. And there will be opposition to that power. But it is a screaming of a defeated foe. Because our God is God alone. And with Him none can contend. I'm going to ask that we stand. I'm going to steal your spot, Jonah. Can we sing the last song? You are God alone, not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You're not a God in need of anything we can give. You are God that's just the way it is.